Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hey, I'm Ashley Easter. I'm an abuse survivor, and I started Courage 365 to support others just like me. October 1st through the 30th, we're hosting a free online event called the 30 Days of Courage. We have an amazing lineup of speakers, including megachurch Hillsong survivor Noemi Uebe, Hollywood intimacy coordinator Sarah Scott, forensic psychologist Dr. Warner, and more. They'll share their personal stories and, most importantly, how you can claim healing for yourself. There's going to be online interactive support groups, weekly challenges to foster healing, and epic prizes. Go register for this free event today go to courage365.org slash the word 30. all right hello everyone this is speaking up with andrew pledger and i am beyond excited to have ashley easter on the podcast today um she is a cult survivor turned intuitive master who helps people escape self-doubt and harness their intuition she is the founder of courage 365, a non-profit for abuse survivors, and she is also a TV producer who focuses on um, stories with meaning and mission, and she authored the books The Courage Coach and Colts Hidden and Plain Sight, and she also has her own podcast, which I will link below. And so she's done quite a bit of work, and I'm quite impressed that she has two books out already. It's so great. Um, how are you doing today, Ashley? Hey, I'm doing so good. I am really excited to be on the show. It sounds like you have um, cultivated just a lot of great voices talking mm -hmm. about things that matter, and so it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Oh, yeah, of course. You're so welcome. And as we dig into the interview, I guess really starting to the beginning, I know you you grew up in a cult. So if you could talk about experience and if you can, what cult it was. Yeah, absolutely. So as with many cults, cults come mm -hmm. up with their own kind of like insider lingo. And yeah. so <laughs> mm -hmm. in order for me to describe the cult, I will have to define some terms. So yeah. if you let me go mm -hmm. on a little bit yeah, of a soapbox for a second, yes. it, it just so people understand what I'm saying. Um, so first, something that you're familiar with, um, I grew up in an independent fundamentalist Baptist yes. church, which that in mm. and of itself, many people refer to that denomination as having very cult-like tendencies. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And both my grandfathers were pastors in this denomination. One was in the North, one was in the South. I grew mm -hmm. up with the pastor grandfather in the North and my family went to the church he was a part of. Um, and so all the typical IFB stuff, you know, mm, no movie yeah. theaters, no dancing, no drinking, yeah. no fun, you know, yes. <laughs> lots of eating um, and, uh, you know, very strict gender roles, those types of things. Um, but 
in addition to that, I was also homeschooled. Mm, and homeschooling can be a good choice for some people. It's actually a broad movement with yeah. um, a lot of different um, smaller movements inside. I know that Olympic athletes often homeschool their kids or are homeschooled so they can hone their craft. Mm -hmm. um, I know recently a lot of queer kids have been removed from public schools yeah. to private school for their protection and safety. So it can be done well and mm -hmm. it can be done for the right reasons. But unfortunately, there is a group yeah. within the homeschooling <laughs> movement yeah. that um, really is a tool of isolation mm. and um, the particular part of the homeschooling movement I was a part of was called the patriarchy movement and it's exactly what it sounds like it's about adherence to the patriarchy so men had power and control uh, over women in the home the church society yeah. um, a man's role was to be the breadwinner the one who was in charge making all the decisions a woman was supposed to get married young have lots of babies say yes yes to sex submit mm. to her husband and all things um, so lots of stereotypical gender roles there and again if people are listening and they have more stereotypical gender role life mm -hmm. if that's a choice if that works for you and you enjoy it as long as nobody's forcing you to like mm. do whatever you want you know not my not my business yeah. but this is more of a like god said kind of situation yes. it's authoritarian um, type Ooh, very authoritarian yeah. yeah so you have like the ifb church mm. then you have the uh, homeschooling movement mm -hmm. inside the homeschooling movement is the patriarchy movement and it yeah. is sort of like those russian nesting dolls where they all like stack inside. oh my gosh yes <laughs> so inside the patriarchy movement is another movement called the quiverful movement and yes i just <laughs> i just interviewed a guest okay. An hour and a half ago, who oh, was God. all in the Quiverful movement. Tia Levings, I just interviewed oh, wow. um, her. Yes. So that's that's interesting that um, yes. now we're talking about this. All right. Awesome. Let's do this. <laughs> yes. Yes. So nutshell version of the Quiverful movement. Um, and I'd be interested, like, how she kind of, uh, is yeah. it she? she yeah, um, she. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. How she defines it. Um, but what I was taught was basically that there's this bible verse taken out of the book of psalms that's really taken out of context mm. and it says children are like arrows in a mighty man's quiver blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them uh, so yeah to be a blessed man you should have a quiver full of arrows meaning children but then they take it farther than that so i remember sitting through a lecture as a teenager about the 200 year plan do you know the 200 year plan no please okay. tell oh my god oh no this is no christian it's nationalism so christian nationalism here we go yes, yes. Uh, okay so the 200 year plan is this you have 10 children those 10 children have 10 children those 10 children have 10 children and those 10 children have 10 children and on and on for 200 years you're doing this your friends are doing this your family's doing this and after 200 years you have this astronomical amount of descendants you will shoot them out into arrows to sink into different sectors of society like the oh home gosh. church religion government. our home church uh, schools government media and maybe healthcare. i think that was like uh, prong to that and basically these arrows will sink into these sectors of society we mm -hmm. will dominate the world through overpopulation with this patriarchal message uh, 
So um, as a woman in that movement, your job is mainly to be the ones giving birth to the arrows. birth wasn't painful enough for most women um <laughs> birthing out arrows <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> um so then you know kind of backing up looking at that matryoshka um, russian nesting doll analogy again homeschooling movement patriarchy movement quiverful movement mm-hmm. the last doll inside like the little tiny oh one. my gosh so many dolls <laughs> yes so many um it is called a stay-at-home daughter movement I was oh also yeah i'm sorry Ugh. thank you thank you that's terrible yeah i know oh so you, you had to stay at home until you got married and a man took you away mm-hmm. to be, uh, mm-hmm. okay oh, yeah okay. it's like this idea of if <sighs> no. adult women um are supposed to be married and submit to their husbands what do we do with unmarried adult women we can't have them like running around not to submit oh to gosh. anyone travesty Um, (laughs) so they come up with this idea of well you'll be a stay-at-home daughter you'll submit to your father till he gives you an away Uh, marriage to a man to submit to that time you focus Mm. on your homemaking skills Mm. maybe you help homeschool your siblings um and for a lot of women they didn't go to college i had the option but i didn't go because two reasons one i was dyslexic and so it wasn't like the best learning facility for me Mm. but two why would you spend all that money on a college education when you're just gonna stay home and homeschool 10 Mm. plus kids yeah Um, some dual purpose there um so yeah um even as a 21 year old woman mm-hmm. my dad is still trying to tell me what i can and cannot wear uh, what relationships i can or cannot be in and control mm. my dating life um we practice courtship instead Ew. of dating. yeah so if listeners aren't familiar you've got traditional dating where the couple makes all the decisions for themselves when and if they start dating what their physical boundaries and standards are how fast or slow it moves if and when they get married on the other end of the spectrum, you've got betrothal or arranged marriage, which mm. does sometimes happen in the homeschooling community. And yeah. that thankfully wasn't my story, but you may not even know the person you're marrying mm-hmm. um, until the wedding day in some of those instances. Courtship was sort of in the middle. So mm-hmm. I could say no to a relationship, but I could not say yes without permission. Mm. And not just a blessing, but like actual permission. And it was very... Mm much there was a lot of oversight with the relationship very very controlling Mm. and so with that um i did get into a courtship we were actually engaged it became abusive Mm. and um very terrifying and simultaneously with all this happening i also have a blog called stay-at-home daughter where i'm talking to 300 women about adherence to the patriarchy mm. everything's very public and um in that abusive relationship um and um that wasn't the only abuse i experienced mm-hmm. but that was certainly one that when i finally left that thankfully didn't marry the guy mm-hmm. um i sunk into all the ptsd panic uh, attacks and the yeah. like um oh. so that's sort of like a picture of the, mm. the background portion Mm, yes wow that is a lot oh my gosh i'm so sorry <laughs> you this the whole the the movement with the movement and like i loved at the beginning how you emphasized that 
um, there are different reasons of why people homeschool and that it's not all bad. And sadly that there are a lot of fundamentalists and people who are part of cultic groups who homeschool to isolate and to really isolate and indoctrinate people into the group. And um, I guess a question that popped in my mind. So who, who started the 200 year plan? Where's that from? <laughs> Yeah, so there's a guy who, um, his name is Doug uh, Phillips. Mm -hmm. He had an organization called Vision Forum. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of, um, just a lot of patriarchal homeschool mm. nonsense curriculum. And he had conferences and some of the conferences were super creepy. It would uh... be like father-daughter conference where they go on dates and the daughters shape their dads. Uh, and what? Just like weird, gross stuff. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. he's since found himself in a scandal and that, um, all sort of dissipated, um, after the sexual scandal, but, um, yeah. he, to my knowledge is the first one, um, that came up with a 200 year plan. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cause like, I also grew up in an IFB church and it's interesting because, um, uh, it prided itself in not being organized religion yes. and I thought it was funny because the church I grew up in was terribly disorganized bad communication issues a lot of internal problems <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. of internal issues I've been dealt with and um I mean it's funny I mean I don't think a lot of them were smart enough to come to plan but <laughs> <laughs> um yes. but it was interesting because even though um i was never told a specific like oh you have to have this many children this and this there was there were general messages similar to that like i remember as my church or my really my cult was i was in it as it more and more people left and the the um church got smaller and smaller um i noticed that there was a lot more pressure for the the few young people that were left to get married and have children and there was there was one time the preacher i mean you know like they say many a truth is said in jest mm -hmm. uh he said it in a joke and made a minute but um for some reason it was one night all the teen guys and girls were sitting together and the preacher was like oh yeah he's like um you know find yourself a good-looking man in the you know teen section next to you and you know get married have children <laughs> it is really uncomfortable uh, and sure um you know this person is talking to us and of course like, the, everyone felt uncomfortable and like you know ifb churches they have their typical like uh handshaking time yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and like when that when that happened all the girls were gone and they were like oh my left. gosh oh my god so uncomfortable they just left oh i remember a guy we weren't like supposed to hold hands and stuff but there, we went to, there was like some extra church activity. I don't know if we were like celebrating the anniversary of the church. I, I don't remember what it was, but we were all sitting at these long tables and it was yeah. time to pray. And they were like, everybody hold hands. And I was like, oh, and so he grabbed my hands and he was a classical guitarist and he had these long ass fingernails and, <laughs> and he couldn't keep his hands still and it was sweaty and then he was like has these long fingernails in oh, my no. hand and palm and i'm just like oh <laughs> you know it's so yeah. gross 
goes, then you couldn't get away. And I was like, oh. Yeah, and like in that environment, I feel like, you know, there's so much sexual repression yeah. that the, the guys who do it, they like, they get way too excited. Way too <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. And so what, what were, um, you know, even though it's interesting because um, each IFB church is its own thing. There, yeah. There's no organization ahead of them, but they're all very similar. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and like their structure and in the theology and beliefs that they teach. So I was just curious, um, talk about some of the, um, well, I feel like most of it is toxic, but <laughs> talk about some of the yeah. toxic um, teachings that you heard growing up. Obviously, like the patriarchy was a big part yeah. of the environment. What are some other things? Yeah, well, it was interesting because we were an IFB church, and when I grew up, it was sort of, I don't know, I guess what I would call like a classic IFB church. I know mm. um, when my mom was a teenager in the church, there was like um, encouragement to go to like Hiles Anderson College, mm. and yes. I know when I was a mm. teen, like Bob Jones University would come and put on one of their little plays, you know, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, and it was very... Um, and this is sort of like a, if somebody's not Christian, they're going to like roll their eyes at this, but it really is a big thing in the Baptist church. We started out as Arminian. So mm -hmm. like, um, I guess free will kind of mm -hmm. Baptist. -y. And yeah. then towards my later teen years, we got a different pastor and he went like sort of hardcore Calvinist. Mm. And so we started transitioning into like the John Pipers and the John MacArthur's of the world. Mm. And yeah. it was like the same crap, but like more intellectualized. Mm. Um, they used yeah. bigger yeah. words and the sermon <laughs> titles were like drier than before. Um, but yeah. basically the same stuff, just like yeah. um, now you don't get to choose if you go to heaven like God chose. It's like putting glitter on a piece of shit, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just trying to make people feel smart, um, where, again, it's the same old stuff. So, like, there was that, um, I think it was in the church, um, it's like either the church constitution or bylaws, like, you had to sign when you became a member that you would not dance. Like, it's in a document. Like, what the hell? Um, so, there's that. Um, I remember like when you do any of the um like the lord's supper communion eucharist yeah. whatever your tradition would call it um there was so much fear involved mm. with it because it was like if you take this bread and wine and it wasn't real wine because baptists yeah. don't drink and it was no. actually grape juice they were talking about in the bible jews didn't go around making wine actually um <laughs> i know <laughs> we had a whole sermon about that, that. yeah <laughs> yeah same oh but it was like, if you take this unworthily, that's why some among you are sick and dead. And so you're like a child. You've had your first, you've had baptism and it's your first communion. And then they're like, all right, if you're not worthy, if you haven't confessed all your sins, you could get sick or die. And so you're standing here oh and you're like, gosh. oh my God, do I, yeah. am I going to die if I forgot? So a sin to confess. And so just a lot of stuff like that. Mm. Um, I, we actually, my mom's generation in that church, women couldn't wear um, pants. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But in my generation, you could wear quote unquote modest pants, but you weren't supposed to wear pants to church uh. as a woman. But then sort of in my later teen years, that started being accepted. Um, Mm-hmm. And so, like, just a lot, like, a mix of things, and maybe one of the most infuriating things about it is when they make a big deal about something, that this is not modest, or you can't go do this, and then all of a sudden, it's allowed, and then nobody, like, has a conversation about, hey, I'm really sorry mm-hmm. I shamed you for something I now don't believe is a sin. Um, so just a, a lot of stuff like that, a lot of changes that took mm-hmm. place, um, but... Um, yeah, if you have any specific doctrine questions, I'm happy to to share, but that's kind of yeah, pretty typical stuff. I mean, I'm assuming they had the typical like fire and brimstone end times mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, that we yep. all kind of grew up in. Yeah. And, wow, I know it is Ultra a lot. Ooh, oh, yes, I know. Because yeah. like I, I mean, for people listening, this is in air quotes, I got saved air quotes at mm-hmm. like... <laughs> eight years old after the, like the most horrific scary sermon on hell mm-hmm. and like I couldn't sleep it was so yep. scary and, like when you're a child and you have these adults in your life that you trust and who are supposed to know a lot more than you are mm-hmm. telling you that these demons and things are actually that's very scary yeah um, like into, it's like just, taking a kid mm. to a horror movie and then saying this actually isn't just Hollywood this is real yeah <laughs> that's true yeah like this is gonna happen to you if you don't do this this yeah. it's just so much um fear and shame involved and and it's interesting about the lord's supper because um in my experience with it i was never allowed for a long time to partake in it because my parents were like oh you're not you're not safe yet you haven't they would just tell me not to do it i don't remember i don't remember them saying anything bad would happen i would just say they're like you need to believe to actually take this and say Mm -hmm. what would happen but I think that is terrible that they would say that you would get um, sick or die or something like that's just horrific. Um, But I feel like part of that feeling, feeling left out in that environment, I feel like that really caused me to adapt and to conform so I could partake of Mm. the world's most stale cracker and some great (laughs) juice. (laughs) That's been sitting out since the afternoon because the older ladies did it after morning service and you're drinking it now at night service. Yeah, and like looking back, the whole the whole grape juice shit is just so yeah. funny. How they would say no when when the Bible says, even though they say take it literally, when the Bible says wine, it doesn't really mean wine. It's grape juice, like... right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I got baptized when I was I want to say like seven or eight years old. Oh, same. Like, yeah. After that, it was like you can take communion. Uh huh. Um. And, you know, you kind of have like the scary deacon ask you questions to oh. make sure you have a profession of faith. And then my grandfather baptized me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you you take the stale cracker and the <laughs> old grape juice. And it would be hilarious because they would, I don't know if your church had this, but there was like wooden pews. And then you have like the little um, things that hold the hymnals in the back. Oh, and yes. then they had mm-hmm. little, little like holders for your community. Yes, yes, they do. Yes, yeah. I had the yeah, we had those. And so the little kids after church would be tasked with picking up the communion cups, and the old ladies would get on them because there might be a little left over, and the kids were like drinking the old juice. And they're like, no, no, that's the Lord's supper. You know, you can't drink the extra oh. juice. 
the chair. I'm thinking, forget the being, you know, the blood of Christ, like germs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Random oh my gosh, it's like it's like, oh no, don't don't drink the grape juice from Aldi. Like, please, don't. <laughs> so sacred. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's funny because like growing up, I always wondered what those holes were for. Because oh. our, our church, we never we never use them. Oh, and okay. I'm trying to remember. Oh gosh, I'm, if, maybe we didn't. I'm trying to remember if we did it because I remember the hymn. There were holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if I'm thinking of the teen church or the actual church. I think it is. Okay. That. But anyways, we would always have to take the cups up to the front and like where they would collect them, which I understand why they did it because it's so much easier, I guess, more yeah, efficient for yeah. everyone to just walk sure. up. Sure. And that's why I hated Lord's Supper because my parents always be like, all right, here's this like big ass sack of like cups. All right, here you go. Go yeah. take it to the front and give it back right. to the ushers. I was like, yeah. And like, I don't know, like I always, I never, I never liked communion. I, I didn't understand why people, I mean, for me, um, I mean, they, to me, I'm like, okay, well, the Bible says so. So that's why they're doing it. It seems like that was their justification for everything. Like, oh, the Bible says so. So we're doing this. Let's right. not give it. And like, yeah, let's remember um, all these things that, you know, in quotes, Christ did for us. And then now even growing up, even like questioning some of that, I'm like, I don't know, like right. there's some logical issues and yeah, things. yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting. And it depended on who was preaching and what their mood yeah. was when they did communion. But sometimes they'd be like, let's talk about all the gory stuff that probably happened in this torture uh, of yeah. the Christ. And so you have to sit through that and then you're like, oh my God, this blood is, you know, somebody had to die for me, this, you know, eight-year-old yeah. child um, because I've been so evil and uh, this looks like blood and, you know, it's just... Mm. It's really creepy. It is. Um, I mean, looking, I mean, I was surprised at that age how much I could, I mean, not really, I guess, because it's all I knew, but it is just such a, just talking about drinking someone's blood and eating someone's body, even though it's supposed to be, um, and that in that environment is metaphorical, but I know right. in like some Catholic masses, Catholic tradition, yeah. tradition, it's oh. not, it's not, you're really yeah. like, you're eating it and it's supposed to, you know, in quotes, being to change to Christ mm-hmm. and his actual yeah. body. like. And then they're all like, witchcraft is evil. And I'm like, here, we just did a spell you know, like a blood sacrifice spell, like we're eating and drinking blood and flesh. And we've got these candles over here. And then we're all chanting these hymns and prayers. And I'm just like, yeah. give me a break. <laughs> yeah, you're like the cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It's just, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so, so creepy. And so growing up in the IFB, and I know you were talking about like um like the Russian dolls or whatever yeah. with doll with a doll. So like um at your IFB church and like um what are, you call it what the patriarchal movement type yeah thing? patriarchy or, movement yeah is that what they is that a group that actually call themselves that or are you talking yeah. about the general movement or um no there's there's actually like within the homeschooling movement um like people will say that they're patriarchalists like um mm. Doug. Phillips, Doug Wilson, um, I think, um, I want to say maybe Vody Bauckham, who was big Uh, in the state home daughter movement as well. Um, a lot of people will just be like, they're unapologetically patriarchal and mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Gotcha. And so like, what were different experiences in, in your IFB church and in Mm -hmm. your homeschool group and the patriarchal 
movement? Um, what were different things that like were, I guess, red flags to you that stood out uh, when you were in that environment? Well, I mean, they stand out as red flags now, but as a kid, you know, you're kind mm -hmm. of, I, I kind of had two feelings. One, this is the only thing mm -hmm. I know. And yeah. then two, it feels wrong. Like I had a good sense of intuition as a child and there uh -huh. was some will breaking involved that really just kind of oh, shut that down for yeah a bit. i know what you mean yeah mm -hmm. yeah um but things would be like uh you wouldn't hear women stand up and pray in church you know a woman would oh, not yeah. preach behind the pulpit mm -hmm. we had a female choir director but she had to report to a male pastor mm -hmm. for song selections and there was a huge uproar when one sunday she was leading the choir and then she wanted the congregation to join and she turned around, faced the congregation and tried to have them stand up and join. And people were like, oh my gosh, now she's actually leading the congregation. Huh. Um, so I remember that. I mean, there was a, a woman, a, a girl whose family, I, I think they went to public school um, and were a bit more normal-ish, at least in their dress. <laughs> normal-ish, yeah. yeah she had on a lower cut top and the youth mm. pastor made her uh -oh. stick a piece of paper in the front of her shirt for the duration of church um so as not to cause the boys to stumble so just like humiliation like that yeah um, there were women who had girls who had to apologize for being raped because it was sexual sin you know whether oh that's my god or um the one that i saw I don't know if it was consensual or not, but a girl was pregnant and she went in front of the church and apologized. Uh, um, and uh, where was the guy? Like, we didn't mm, know who the guy was. Wow. Um, so just a lot of double standards. Um, you know, women were in the nursery. They were taking care of the potlucks. They were taking mm -hmm. care of their husbands. The church would not have run without the free labor of women. Yes. Yet they mm -hmm. have no power. And maybe towards the end, some of them got paid jobs by the church. But particularly in the beginning, a lot of it was very volunteer. Mm. Um, but the people being paid and recognized were men. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when we're in those environments, uh, we don't have the language or mm -hmm. knowledge of things to label. So like looking back, there were certain moments for me that were red flags that I didn't realize what it was then, that intuition bothering me. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's cool because you are basically like an intuition coach, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're, you're helping people get in touch with that part of themselves. And I think that's incredible because toxic religion really does it connects disconnects you from your emotions your body and your mind and your, your intuition and things in general so um you know that and that's a part of religious trauma too is that you're so disconnected from yourself you don't know how to um, emotionally regulate you don't know how to yeah. make decisions and there's so many other symptoms but uh, i think it's incredible that you know you recognize that and now um you know your intuition coach trying to help people um, get in touch with that side of themselves to help them to learn to make decisions, to have autonomy and to not live their life in fear of everything that they do. And yeah. so what, what led you 
because I know you said because I relate to that too because I am an INFJ so like my yeah. intuition is hella strong <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hella strong um and so when did you begin to really know what intuition was right and when did you start to connect with that more at least right well I mean it was there when I was younger and mm -hmm. I was called rebellious mm. for trying to do normal child development stages of differentiating yourself from mm. others in your life and just being independent. Um, and that was, yeah. you know, smack down. There was a lot of um, abuses mm. around that. Um, and that kind of shut it down for a while. And if I had been able to trust my intuition instead of the male spiritual leaders in my life, mm -hmm. there would have been a lot of abuse that I probably would have avoided. But yeah. I just was like, oh, trust men over myself. Oh. Um, so it was there, but it was something that I tried to reject. And there was this teaching about um, the heart is desperately wicked. Um, oh, yes. And, they always say you know, that. So. Yeah. Oh. And so I'm thinking that my intuition is not something that can be trusted, that it's only these people. But when it really kind of came back to a point where I couldn't, ignore it. I had just gotten out of that um, abusive courtship. I was going through PTSD, so panic mm, attacks, yeah. um, flashbacks, nightmares, um, suicidal ideation, mm. all the things. And I was feeling that way for quite a while. Um, and I got to this point where uh, it wasn't so much that I wanted to die, but I didn't oh. know how to keep going. Yeah. When I would sleep, I would have nightmares about oh. him and panic attacks. And then when I would be awake, I, all I could do is think about what had happened to me and have panic attacks. So it was like, mm -hmm. I can't escape from this. Yeah. So one of the things I did was I would stay up late at night. It's one of the only times you can be alone in a mm -hmm. larger size family in a smaller yeah. size house. And I would put in um, headphones. And I would listen to music and I would turn mm. it up just as loud as I could in the headphones just to try to drown out the sound of my own mind, oh, just yeah. to actively try not to think. And looking back, I realized that was key because when we are actively in a state of anxiety, fear, mm -hmm. when we're like thinking all of those thoughts, it's hard to hear your intuition. So when I was working to like just shut that down, that's when my intuition came through again. And one night I was listening to that music and all of a sudden I felt, it felt like a presence came over me. It felt a little bit weighty. Mm. Um, I'm going to be honest at the time I was like, I think this is God, you know, now I'm yeah. like, oh, I don't know. But um, I heard this voice. You wouldn't have heard it if you were sitting beside me, but it was in my own mind. So yeah. Subconscious, not mm -hmm. something I was trying to think. So it definitely came from intuition yeah. and it said, it's going to be okay. Something big, yeah. something good's about to happen. It's going to be okay. Something big, something good's about to happen. And I was shocked because I had not heard my intuition, what I would have mm. at the time called the voice of God, yeah. loudly and clearly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is happening? And that was a big turning point in my healing because I started listening to that. Mm. Um there was a woman who briefly visited our church and was like, this is not for me. So good for her. She got out pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but she invited me to a coffee shop, introduced me to a guy who was also Christian, but um, 
believed in a more egalitarian theology uh-huh. and equality for women, we got talking and as you do, you know, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to, to school here. And he's like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a stay-at-home daughter. And he's like, you're a, you're a what? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yeah, stay-at-home daughter. Biblical femininity and all. And he's like, what is that? You know, and so I tell him all this patriarchal nonsense and he's just like, I don't know if that's quite right. And yeah. he started asking me questions about equality for women and why he thought the Bible said something different. And anyway, I I was kind of annoyed because I'm like, he's trying to lead me astray. I'm a pastor's granddaughter. I uh-huh. write this blog about patriarchy. I know my shit here. And so we, you know, we went away and then he found me on Facebook and he kept like poking at me, asking me these questions uh-huh. that I didn't have answers to. And the stereotype is true. Homeschoolers are notoriously good debaters. So it's like, I'm going to have to debate this guy and tell him why he's wrong. Yeah. Um, which I now realize is complete irony. I was trying to tell a man why women should submit to men and uh, yeah. that, but did not see that at the time. So I'd already studied my point of view very strongly, but to debate well, you need to know the other person's point of view yes, better than you do. You do. Mm, yeah. So you can kick the legs out from underneath them and know their weak points are. Yeah. Um, the debate never had to happen because doing the research about why equality for women was um, safer from a social perspective, from a mm-hmm. religious and theological perspective, which is very important to me at the time, um, just seeing the connection between patriarchy and abuse and power and control, mm. it convinced me that I had been wrong. And that sort of started the deconstruction journey of like, well, if I was lied to about this, what else? And it all just kind of fell apart. Um, Lots of tension with family. Um, But it was my intuition that kept being like, even though this is scary, even though Mm -hmm. you're going to lose a lot, you've got to keep researching this. And so I did. Um, And to make a long story short, I started becoming very rebellious. So I got my own car. Ooh, wow. I started going to the movie theater, seeing Ooh, shows baby. like Son of God, of God <laughs> Jesus, uh, swing dancing, Ooh. listening to Taylor Swift, you know, all oh. the evil things of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I started dating instead of oh. courting. Yeah. I went on a few comical dates. And then my friend's mom, um, the friend who brought me to the coffee shop, she actually... Um, sort of had a blind date between me and my husband. And Mm. that was really another intuition point where we're both like, this is right. So we dated for four months. We were engaged for four months. We've been married for almost eight years. That was my physical escape out. And then after I was safe, I started processing the trauma. um, And I started studying the science and practice of intuition and trying to understand like, how how does this work and how can I not just wait for it to show up but like access intuition whenever I want and need it Mm -hmm. so I can be safe so I can be successful and um I sort of have two things going one I've got a nonprofit for abuse survivors Mm -hmm. we have a lot of free resources and then as you mentioned I'm an intuition coach and so I Mm -hmm. help people um, understand the science and practice mm-hmm. of intuition so they can use it in their lives and um, 
yeah, I use it from moving, buying houses, picking my soulmate, yeah. to choosing avocados in the grocery store. So <laughs> I use it for everything. <laughs> yeah. And like, how, what are some basic principles that help people get in touch with their intuition? Yeah. So, um, there is a science behind intuition and actually, um, researchers call it rapid cognition. Hmm, and okay. the reason for that is, um, you sort of, the brain is very complex, but if you mm, boil it down, yeah. you have like two main sides of the brain. So you've yeah. got the left side and the right side. Mm -hmm. And the left side of the brain is very analytical. Mm -hmm. It's the conscious side where you know exactly what's happening. You mm -hmm. can remember mm -hmm. things, um, not everything, but you can remember some things and then you can like um, see the things in front of you and pick up on that data. Yeah. The subconscious mind where the intuition is housed, it um, processes a lot of data information below the surface, mm -hmm. more so than our conscious mind can remember or access. Yeah. And I think of it like a math problem. So if you're trying to solve a math problem, you're going to use the left side of your brain. Mm -hmm. You're going to remember back to high school or college where you learned to solve that math problem. You're then going to try to work the steps and hope you don't make a mistake. Hope you're not dyslexic like me where oh, I flip no. six and a nine and <laughs> mess it up. Oh, and no. then you come to a conclusion and sometimes it's right and sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. um, and it's based on it's limited to what you can remember and what you know now. Mm -hmm. And that's generally how we make a lot of decisions. Intuition has a very similar process, mm -hmm. but it does it below the surface in your subconscious mm -hmm. mind. And it does it, this is why researchers call it rapid cognition, mm -hmm. within about one to three seconds. It filters through like all this data and information you've forgotten about. Uh -huh. um, energy that you picked up you know like you walk into a room and you're just yeah. like oh there's a bad vibe here like it, yes. it keeps track of all that stuff and so it has a much broader knowledge and it solves the problem for you doesn't tell you exactly how it did it gives you the answer within about one to three seconds rapid mm -hmm. cognition and then it shows it to you in generally one of four ways so it can be a metaphorical seeing so this isn't like an apparition in front of you but like mm -hmm. you might have an image flash to your mind and you're like oh this is the answer or um maybe you are meditating and you have kind of a picture pop up or like a mind movie and you're like oh mm -hmm. okay this this is an answer that i you know was trying to solve a problem it can be through a metaphorical hearing mm -hmm. which is like in my story you would not have heard, you know, it's going to be okay. Something big, something good's about to happen if you sat beside me. But I heard those words mm. come from my subconscious mind to my yeah. conscious mind. Mm -hmm. um, it can also happen through feeling. So, like, you'll feel something in your gut. You mm. might get a chill that goes down your arms. It might be a sense of, like, oh, something doesn't feel right. Or yeah. I can't put my finger on it, but I'm supposed to work with this person and invest mm -hmm. in that thing. Um, and then the fourth way is just through a knowing. And sometimes you all of a sudden just have the answer or know what to do. Um, and again, it goes back to when intuition is filtering out the details. It doesn't mm -hmm. tell you how it did that. It does it in your subconscious and it yeah. just gives the answer. So sometimes you'll be like, I don't know how I know this, but today 
I'm not going down that street. I'm going a different street. And then you find mm -hmm. out later, oh, that was like some sort of a, an accident that happened there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the basics of intuition and how it shows up. Mm. Um, and the tricky part is helping people know the difference between their intuition and like fear, anxiety, mm. trauma, yeah. or input from other sources. Yeah. So how do you distinguish that? Yeah. So basically I put it in two general categories. You have intuition, which you talked about, and then we mm. have ego. So ego doesn't mean that you're an egotistical person. Mm -hmm. It more means like the the portions of yourself that you identify with that yeah. um, that fear that trauma that anxiety those kinds of feelings um and when your ego's speaking it's not that it doesn't have good information sometimes so like yeah. if you see a bear and all of a sudden you have fear you're gonna want to pay attention to that yeah um, but because it doesn't have as big of a perspective as your intuition Another time you might hear a crack in the woods and you feel fear and it was just a deer and yeah. you probably don't need to run, you know, so it, it has uh -huh. that response, but it doesn't always see the whole picture. So yeah. it's worth noting um, and not throwing out entirely, but it, mm -hmm. it's generally limited and very mm -hmm. fear based. A lot of times you feel hyper emotions around it. Like, should I do this mm -hmm. or should I do that? Um, and it's, it's going to be based in fear of staying safe, playing small. Mm -hmm. Intuition's going to feel completely the opposite. It's always going to come from a place of love and expansion. Mm. It will use fear to get your attention. It will be calm, cool, clear, concise, mm -hmm. and emotionless. Um, you might feel fear about what it says. Like if your yeah. intuition says, Ashley, you need to leave the cult. Yeah. Um, I might be like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen if I leave? But the actual voice saying, Ashley, you need to leave the cult, isn't going to be trying to scare me. It's going to be very mm -hmm. calm, cool, clear, yeah. and precise. And it's not going to yeah. wait. Mm -hmm. So tuning into how is this feeling in my body? Am I feeling fear? Or am I feeling just this peace, this sense of knowing, um, often that I can't explain why, um, and just really asking yourself, is this coming from fear? and playing safe or is this coming from a place of love and expansion? Um, so those are the main ways you can tell the difference. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, because I recall my moments of intuition and I relate to what you were saying about that calm voice and like how it's not something that you can like audibly hear. It's like it's, it's, like it's an autonomous thing in your mind that pops mm -hmm. into your consciousness that's its own thing. I don't know. That's, I feel like for me, the best way yeah to describe it i guess um and it's it's kind of like um you know it's something that's talking to your ego like you said not in the egotistical way but like as a part of your personality the part of the the part of yourself that you're aware of yeah um really and um how did you learn more about the intuition and what yeah. made you want to do that well first I just started noting patterns, noticing patterns in my own life. Mm -hmm. And then I started testing it. So I was like, well, you know, let me just see how this works. And um, so I would like maybe on a Saturday afternoon, I would just be sitting on the couch and my intuition would be like, 
um, you need to go to this place. And I'm like, I don't want to leave the house. I don't need yeah. to go to, I don't need anything there. But my intuition would be like, no, nah, you need to go there. And so I would get in my car and I would drive there and I would arrive at the place. There'd be one person in the parking lot. The door would be unlocked to the building. I'd walk in and that person would be like, oh yeah, I was waiting for you. And mm. I wouldn't know the person. I'd never met them before. And they had like a message of encouragement for me. Um, another thing, just kind of playing with it with low stakes things would be like picking out produce in the grocery store and you're like, oh gosh, all these avocados look the same. I don't know. I want to make sure I get a good one that's not going to go bad by the time yeah. I bring it home, but I, I need it tonight, you know, not in three days. Um, and yeah. so I'm just like intuition, which one do I pick? And I just kind of like tune in and it's like that one. I'm like, all right, that one's in the cart. Mm. And it's a great avocado. Um, I like to do follow your gut days just to practice. Again, these are on mm. small, fun things just so yeah. you can learn to test it. Mm. Um, and I'd be like, okay, intuition for the next five hours, uh, it's up to you. What do I do next? And the adventures it will take me on would be like, drive here and go to this place. And I would see people that I hadn't seen in years and mm. they happen to be there or um, I'm vegan gluten-free and oh my gosh, here's a vegan gluten-free muffin that is chocolate, which is my favorite. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find anywhere. And it's just little stuff like that. So I started playing around, uh. but then I started actually looking into the scientific studies, which there are studies, um, peer reviewed studies about intuition, rapid mm -hmm. cognition, um, and how accurate it is. Um, looking at the psychology of the brain, reading books and different research articles and being like, okay, well, this is why I'm having these experiences. This is how it shows up. And this is some of the research that um, people have actually studied to show that mm -hmm. it's actually really effective. Yeah, and it is so incredible to me because I've also had those um, experiences of, this is your intuition, and having certain things work out is kind of freaky. <laughs> it's like, oh, what? And it's interesting because um, I think a term that Carl Jung, he, I think synchronicity is something mm -hmm. that yeah. he coined um, when I think basically just things just, um, it's basically a way of saying, you know, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Things that work out seem to just be an accident, aren't really an accident. They're, uh, there is a connection. There's a reason that we might not always um, know why. <laughs> and Carl Jung did have, he had his own theories of how the mind influenced that. And I'm curious to see the modern uh, research um, into in intuition, looking into that. Um, because, for example, one one instance that Carl Jung had was that he, there was this feeling, this burning sensation um, he felt in his body and like something told him to move away from the bookshelf and he moved away from a bookshelf and the bookshelf came tumbling down mm -hmm. and he's like how did I um, get that feeling without there there were no uh, material or external signs of that yeah. shelf would fall and it was something that was just unexplainable to him and he called it a synchronicity or whatever and so he wanted to figure out um how our mind was able to perceive um our this premonitions or i think you call them like precognitions or something mm -hmm. um like that it was just it, the mind was just 
um, so fascinating to him on that aspect from the because uh, I felt like he he tried to combine the material and spiritual mm-hmm. um, together as well or something at least that we couldn't see beyond our own limited senses um, right. at least um, because you know it, it's interesting because I've thought about lately I'm like okay I'm like what we consider to be material is what what is limited to our own senses so what if there are other material things but we might call them spiritual just because we can't perceive them but maybe it's not actually you know what I mean like it's just a different aspect of that you know what I mean like I don't know now I I would recommend that you look into some of the quantum physics theories that are coming out okay there's so much and I'm not a quantum physicist but I love reading articles and documents about quantum physics yeah basically on a base level everything is energy like if yes. you move mm-hmm. down a microscope it yeah is everything is vibrating yeah at some mm-hmm. frequency mm-hmm. yeah and you're right there's there's things that exist that we can't perceive with our physical 3d mm-hmm. bodies yeah even just different light spectrum yeah mm-hmm. you know um you have to put on special goggles to see certain things mm-hmm. um so yes that's a thing and my um my suspicion, my belief mm-hmm. is that quantum physics really does explain a lot of the intuitive phenomenon, mm. particularly like what you said with the synchronicities. Yes. Um, because I I have read about intuition pulling information from multiple sources. So it's memories mm. that you can't even remember. Oh, well. Wow. It is DNA memory through like epigenetics. You oh, might well. have how yes. Holocaust survivors' children mm. will still have trauma switches. Yes. To trauma. I think wow. that happens positively and negatively. So it picks yeah. up on mm-hmm. information. Um, there's research about fetal memory, like even in the womb, mm. the environment that you're in, picking up information. Um, but then also just like energy around us yes. that we can't perceive with our 3D bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that our intuition can pick up on energy and vibrations Mm -hmm. yes that we can't perceive otherwise Mm -hmm. um and so to me that makes sense of the synchronicity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, it is all connected like yes there's illusion of separation because of the different densities and the frequencies Mm -hmm. things are vibrating at but when you look at it through like a microscope everything Mm. is just a wave frequency and there's not really a start and stop between Mm, interesting energetic waves yeah Mm, wow so interesting and so um i guess what what age did you finally leave the cold and really start beginning to listen to your intuition Mm. and so I started changing ideologically when I was 21. Mm -hmm. I think I probably heard that real strong voice in my intuition when I was maybe 20. But my physical escape was when I got married at 22. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of after I was married, I really had the freedom to look into it um, and the safety to be able to do that. Um, And yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, most definitely. And so what was the reaction to when you left? Because like everyone does it differently to when they leave. Yeah. So how did you, what, in what fashion or what way did you leave? Well, when I started changing ideologically, I got a lot of pushback from my family. Um, mm-hmm. They were not happy with it. Um, but I kind of, once I realized 
I'm an equal, I kind of put out sort of an ultimatum where I was like, here's the deal. It's not convenient for me to leave the house because I don't have like a full-time job um, or education. Um, And you all don't really want me to leave, but I will leave if you don't start treating me like an adult. And I was already planning, like, am I going to have to live in this crappy car that I have? Um, And that kind of, I think, made them realize that I was serious. Mm-hmm. And so they came up with sort of this, well, you're physically in our home, you have to obey our rules. But when you step out of the threshold, you know, you can make your own choices, which there's so much mm. overlap and it just, yeah. So there was tension. They were glad that I married my husband, Will. Um, they didn't like how we went about the relationship. They yeah. didn't like that there was, uh, he asked for a blessing instead of permission because I was going to mm. marry the man either way. Um, then when I started talking about what had happened to me, um, after I left, that's when lines in the sand were drawn, relationships were severed. And, um, you know, there are some people that feel like I'm exposing long held information about the dangers within Mm. that community mainly people who've are, who left before me yeah. feel that way. And then there's people who are still in it and they're just like, Oh, she's just bitter and angry. And yeah, you know, these are all lies kind of things. So yeah. Kind of mm. Reaction generally based on whether somebody has left or not. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting to see the way the people who are still in the group react because they had to deal with that cognitive dissonance. Yeah of your own experiences and the fact that you left because in these environments you're told that you really can't leave um if you're truly a part of the group if you're truly you know in air quotes saved yeah Yeah. and so and if you do leave then it's a sign oh you never really were blah blah blah. right and so if you convince people that you're saved which Mm -hmm. i think it's total bull crap type thing right (laughs) to to them if you're saved it means you're just following the group so perfectly and you're conforming you're not complaining and yeah. you're not having any kind of uh, objections of any kind. And yeah. you you agree with them 100%, really. Mm-hmm. And then um, there are ways they try to definitely scare you into conforming. And I think really this, that's why it's so scary to question. Because when you're indoctrinated, your eternal life mm-hmm. at that time, what you believe at least is based on it. You're like, oh, if I don't really believe this, if I doubt, then maybe I'm going to hell. So there's so much psychological discomfort around the possibility of questioning that that's just too much to deal with so in order for people to deal with cognitive dissonance they have to either dismiss minimize or explain away other Mm -hmm. people's experiences to be um comfortable and like it's interesting because what people say about you says more about them than it actually says about you (laughs) there's a lot of to do with whether they're still in the church or not yes it does yes like there's a lot of projection going on in those kinds of situations and insecurities and uh, it's so interesting when that happens um but what advice do you have for people who are stuck in these um toxic environments and you want to leave yeah well i think what you said about the cognitive dissonance is really big so um Mm -hmm. I think for some people who are considering leaving, we sometimes shut down that um, cognitive dissonance by all the things that you mentioned, you know, minimizing, Mm -hmm. 
you know, recreating the narrative, trying to make it fit, or just completely like ignoring things. And that is a huge temptation to do because it is scary to leave. It was terrifying for me to leave mm, because yeah. once I removed just that piece of patriarchy, like I could no longer be a stay-at-home daughter. That meant that yeah. me trusting my parents to pick my life partner. That meant the church, which was basically my only community, you know, like all of that no longer fit. And so I know how scary that is. Mm. But what's important to remember is that your ego wants you to stay safe and play small because yeah, yeah. it feels safer to your ego because it doesn't have the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. But your intuition has a larger perspective. It has it. It's looking at more data points. So yeah. even if you're not competent in trusting your intuition yet, do research, mm -hmm. ask questions. And if your faith, if your things that you believe can hold up to the scrutiny, then yeah. fine, nothing has to change. But if it doesn't, yeah. Do you really want to live a lie? Is it really yeah. worth that to you? Yeah. Not just what would you lose, but what could you gain? Because yeah. I lost a lot. There were so mm -hmm. many losses in my life. Yeah. But what have I gained? I've gained freedom to yeah. do what I want without mm -hmm. guilt, without shame. Mm -hmm. I have met the love of my life who supports me completely as an yeah. equal. I am doing the things I love in my career. I'm connecting with so mm -hmm. many people. Yeah. I feel so much more peace. I have access yeah. to resources yeah. to help heal. Life is so incredibly better. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you have to ask yourself, is it worth placating my ego to stay in something that feels safe, but probably at the end of the day really isn't safe for you? It's just an mm -hmm. illusion yeah but would it be worth taking a risk and exploring the bigger things out there so mm. i would say ask questions um yeah. and research read the mm -hmm. information that talks about people who've left mm -hmm. your organization yeah talk to people who've left your organization yeah. and you don't even have to come at it initially you know, with believing it's going to be true. When I did my research, I was doing it for the sole purpose to prove somebody wrong. That's mm -hmm. okay. Just be yeah. open to finding the truth, whatever yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. And if you're right that everything is good and fine, that's what you'll find. Yeah. And if not, you'll find something better. Yeah. Oh, yes. I love that. And so I guess, you know, for the last question, um, how have your experiences influenced the work that you do now? So like, You've gotten a lot into how it influenced you to become an intuition coach, but I know um, you're also a TV producer, and then you have your own um, nonprofit, which is Courage 365. So if you could talk about um, those two things and how they came about. Yes. So with the Courage Conference, that really started in 2016. I was starting mm -hmm. to talk about things that had happened to me. And I had like hundreds of survivors reaching out saying that they'd experienced very similar things. A lot of cover-ups in the church, a lot mm -hmm. of abuses. And they were all like, I feel so alone. I feel like I'm the only one. And I'm like, so many of you are saying the same thing. Like, I know that you're not alone because everybody's saying the same thing. So yeah. let's get together so you can realize that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. So in 2016, we had the first um, Courage Conference. 
and we had 120 people in person, 80 people streaming live online, and we just had this event where survivors spoke about their experiences. We had mental health professionals, mm. lawyers. We had other experts that you know talked about different healing modalities, and most importantly, survivors with similar experiences mm. were just in the same place to be like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm not alone. Eventually, that turned into our nonprofit, Courage mm. 365. Um, in October, we're doing something in lieu of the Courage Conference. Um, we still haven't gotten back to in-person events after the pandemic. Yeah. It's obviously rough for survivors because a lot of times we have autoimmune disorders and yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but we're doing uh, the 30 Days of Courage. We've got some great speakers. Mm. It'll be on live, online, live in our Facebook group. It's totally free. We'll have um, prizes and like self-care challenges you can mm. participate in. We'll have small groups yeah. that you can talk with other survivors. We'll have speakers, including those who are, um, you know, in the Hollywood space and doing work there for advocacy, as well as church abuse survivors. Mm -hmm. And we're working on a panel for um, spouses of people who've experienced abuse, so how to support your partner. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got that and we've got support groups, lots of free resources. We've got a weekly show called Courage Conversations. And basically we do um, like education mm -hmm. and resources for survivors. And yeah. it's, it's free. Um, That's great. It's free because I wish this stuff had been around for me. So I created mm. it. So other people coming out yeah. when I'm alone. Um, then with the TV production stuff, um, there are some projects I can't talk much about right now, Got but you. Yeah. Um, I like to focus on stories of meaning and mm -hmm. working with production companies that want to help center the voices of people mm. who left environments, um, whether it's similar to mine or yeah. um, other toxic communities, uh, because not everybody wants to be public with their story, but for some, mm -hmm. it's really empowering. Yeah, it is. Yes, I mean that's that's a big reason to why I started this show, honestly. Um, speaking up because um I'm trying to remember I heard this in a podcast episode a few days ago and it really clicked with me. It completely like processed to why it is so important to when you can finally either if you want to tell your story to either friends or if you want to tell it online or tell an event or whoever. It's so important for us to be able to tell our story because when we tell our personal stories and are authentic mm -hmm. and we have someone um, who is safe and who will accept us for our authenticity and accept us for who we are, um, number one, it causes connection. Mm -hmm. And number two, it removes the shame yeah. that we have. And I think that's why it's so powerful because um, – someone said this quote oh my gosh okay it, it is something like i'm trying to remember who it is is that um that i think is that maya lady what's her name maya maya angelo maya angelo yes it's like it was something like there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story yes. inside of you yes and like that resonates with me so much and i'm like and you know I was expelled from Bob Jones University my senior oh, year. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. And it was What did because... you do? Wear the wrong sneaker color? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. No, I I decided to publicly 
tell my story and I was just very honest I didn't hold back on it and there were some things they didn't like that I said that didn't aligned with their doctrine or beliefs so they expelled me um because of that um but if I had to do life over again I would still do it again and again and again um because it was so freeing and so empowering Mm -hmm. um to be authentic and I think you know I was ready at that point to tell my story because I had processed a lot of things Mm -hmm. while at Bob Jones um because I was an art major and I use art to explore the the religious trauma and kind of think about my life and different Mm -hmm. things uh affected me and so Anyways, I created, it It was basically, I was a photography major. And so I made okay. a photo, a photo art series on religious trauma. Wow. Yes. And so I kept it a secret from people at Bob Jones. It was kind of like my private project. And I spent like 60 plus hours on it. It's just immense. It was just, I mean, it was the most personal thing that I yeah. created. And it. I wanted to be, it was my senior year. I'm like, this is my senior year to create the project that I've been building up for the last few years. And Um, And to me, like it emotionally represented the different states that I went through and experiencing religious trauma and then how I eventually left. I think I did it in like 15 photos, which is really hard to do. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) that's short. (laughs) I know. I I could have done probably like 100, but I was like, I had to, I tried to keep it to 15 to um, represent. And like, I wanted it to have like a ambiguous meaning to other people. So that right. every other people could yes. still yes. connect with it, but I could still, on a personal level, it meant a very yeah. specific thing um, to me. But um, once I was done with it, I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like I really, I really want to release this, and I don't care what backlash I get if people don't like it." Because when you're at a Christian college, <laughs> it is very, it's very typical for people to create these projects that push and promote the doctrine or ideology of the right. group. Right. And it's to me, I find it really cringy when mm-hmm. that happens. It doesn't feel really authentic to me when it's done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's, just, it's like yeah, it's just regurgitating. It is, yeah. And so it just yeah. So to me, I'm like, I'm gonna be authentic. And so I decided to just publish it on social media. And I was like, okay, it was several a couple of months before I was like, how can I promote this? And mm-hmm. that's when I saw Joshua Harris um the i kissed it and goodbye author when i saw that he did um uh, instagram lives with different people and it was called every story matters and i was like shit i was like it's like the perfect thing hmm. to talk about my story and to so people can actually find my um photo art series and yeah. relate and connect and so once i reached out to him i'm like okay like he probably won't get back to me because mm-hmm. i'm sure he gets thousands of dms a day or whatever but he finally he did get back to me and he's like yeah he's like i'd love to have you on uh, my IG live show and I was like oh shit I was like it was like kind of that moment of like freaking out for a little bit, little bit of like oh my yeah. gosh like it actually worked out so once I did it um, it was funny because it was literally the day before I went back for my last semester at Bob Jones that I did the interview with him <laughs> so here I am in my room with my like phone recording this and, and you know outside the camera there's like clothes and a suitcase everywhere <laughs> as I'm like <laughs> about to go to Christian college as I take this big step but um I mean I think it's incredible when you're able to be authentic and yeah. to tell your story and there were so many people that reached out to me when I shared it mm-hmm. um that really resonated and it really helped them process or realize things about themselves they didn't realize 
Yeah. And, you know, when we hear other people's stories, um, it's powerful because we see our own story in someone else's. Um, and I think that's why memoirs are so powerful and hearing other people's stories. So um, that was a big reason to start this podcast because I realized the power of really like speaking up mm -hmm. and telling your story and just being heard and offering a platform for anyone who right. wanted to, to speak publicly because I know not everyone wants wants to do that. So yeah. I'm I'm careful about who I ask if I can tell if someone is vocal. So I tell sure. like you were vocal about it. I was like, okay, I'm like she's vocal about her story. She wants yeah. to do it. So I'll ask her to be on. So thank you so much um, for coming on this show. And is there anything else you would like to say before we end this episode or? Yeah, I guess I would just say that if you are no longer religious, um, it's probably going to be a lot easier for mm -hmm. you to, um, accept intuition because there's not the religious baggage, but for those mm -hmm. of who are listening that maybe they hear that verse about the heart is desperately mm -hmm. wicked and deceitful yeah. who can know it, all the things, um, I would offer, um, a different interpretation of that. I would say that. If you look at that passage, it's more talking about the ego part of us that doesn't know everything and that mm -hmm. the intuition is the part that you can listen to. And it's the deception is from the, the ego voice inside, the voice mm -hmm. of fear. And so if that helps you maybe overcome some of that thinking, maybe explore mm -hmm. how that might be better telling. But if, if you don't identify as Christian anymore, Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that, yeah, go read some research and books yeah. about intuition. Cause it's, it's out there, it's accessible. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a lot of science behind it. Oh, yeah. yes. Awesome. And then I'll be sure to put links, um, to your website. And if you're listening, yeah. she's an intuition coach. So if you want to connect with her and have her help you connect with your intuition she is definitely more than qualified <laughs> uh, <laughs> to do that and i'll link that below for anyone listening and thank you again ashley for coming on thank you so much and i have one just free thing to offer your community um oh. so um i do these daily text messages oh and okay um, I actually have two lists and you can choose to be on both lists or just one list if you want to. But, um, the one list for intuition stuff, it's intuitive messages every morning, Monday mm. through Friday. Um, for the courage 365 text messages, it's empowering messages for abuse survivors mm. to just encourage them every morning, Monday through Friday. And you're not like put on a chain with other survivors or other my clients or anything mm -hmm. like that it's just coming from from me but it's a great way to just sort of have that good start to your day Aww. and my free gift to people who want to join is um if you want to join the text message list i don't spam you i just give you lots of inspirational content um you in the message box if you want the messages for the survivor community just type the word courage in the message box, if you want to get the intuition text messages, just type the word intuition and then send it to this number, which is 917-809-7311. 917-809-7311.
917-809-7311. And if you want to be on both lists, you can do that. Just send those two messages separately, but courage to be added to the survivor text message list and intuition mm. to be added to mm. the intuition list. And it's been a lot of fun. Oh, yes. Yes, that's so great. Yeah, for anyone interested, definitely feel free uh, to sign up for that. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And this was speaking up with Andrew Fledger.